0: You're listening to Geek Cred, episode 45, featuring Paul and Storm. Hello, Internet. I'm C Rickyberg, and welcome to Geek Cred, the podcast that delivers in-depth, behind-the-scenes interviews on everything geek. And on this episode, I am pleased to introduce comedy music duo, Paul and Storm. Welcome to Cred.
1: Thanks, Steve. Thank
0: you for having us. Thank you, indeed. So, guys, tell me a little bit about yourselves and about your backgrounds. Who is Paul and Storm?
2: Uh, I was born a small black child. <laughs> Maybe that was a little too early. Uh, by the way, that was a uh, that was a The Jerk reference for those of you younger than the age of 37, and wasn't just a racist comment. Uh, uh, who was, i love to give you the, the bullet points of Paul and Storm. Storm and I used to be in an a cappella band called Da Vinci's Notebook for, God, about 12-some years, I think, in the 90s and early aughts. And when that band stopped performing, Storm and I didn't want to grow up and get actual jobs so we and we <laughs> we'd, we'd been working as sort of the the primary songwriting force behind da vinci's notebook anyway the processor uh, the, the pentium yeah.
1: songwriting processor at the heart of things there
2: back, back then i think we were we were uh, overclocked 386 actually but um what no 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 laughs on the nerd reference no i i like no it. i'm with you man i'm with you <laughs> yeah you're you're just in awe of that incredible <laughs> laugh. uh, no anyway we just, we we didn't really want to give up on the performing thing so we thought well let's try this out maybe as a duo with some instruments we uh, we started over fresh. We didn't want to sort of rest on our Da Vinci's Notebook laurels, so to speak. We wanted to, uh, so we started up for a long time, didn't perform any old Da Vinci's Notebook songs and just wrote a bunch of new stuff. And we just, you know, very, very quickly sort of trial by fire wise, relearned how to perform as a duo and behind instruments, which was uh, its own sort of difficult educational process. But we here we
1: are. Really? We hadn't really played instruments before we decided to do the duo. I tinkered some on guitar. Paul had tinkered some on keyboard, so it was really like growing new limbs.
2: Yeah, neither one of them we ever performed like uh, you know in public in front of other people. We were both in, in choir, and I was in band. I played trumpet for like fourteen years, but you know we were both very much dilettantes on our our chosen instruments for Paul and Storm. But we uh, we rapidly learned that people didn't care so much right. as, long as, as long as we weren't actively setting the instruments on fire accidentally. <laughs> and that, sometimes uh, that helped. Yeah, that's true. That was always a good way to end the show if uh, <laughs> if things were going really poorly. But uh, yeah, we just sort of slogged along and built the uh, comedy music juggernaut that you now speak to.
0: <laughs> so tell me, you guys, a little bit about your backgrounds personally and about yourselves. <laughs> Oh, let me answer for Paul. Sure. Um,
1: (laughs) Paul was uh, a redwood tree in a gumdrop forest. No, this is silly. Um, He was not. And I'm not going to answer for him.
2: <laughs> I love that you had to actually say he was not, <laughs> in case there are any lingering doubts that I had, that I was actually a redwood tree for a while in a mystical land,
1: gumdrop forest. And this is how rumors are started. So, so when you're complaining five years from now, that people are meeting you and saying, "Oh, I thought you were a redwood no. tree." It's, that it's
2: it's the same crap that's bringing down the Herman Cain campaign right now. So. <laughs> Exactly. careful because loose lips sink ships their storm
1: uh i had always done um plays and musicals and choirs mostly singing type stuff and um from childhood had been brought up with puns and humor and word games and the such so um it just seems natural in hindsight that we'd end up being professional goofballs
0: <laughs> uh, i like that term
1: yeah oh definitely and um as far as the, the geekiness, that's certainly a big part of just who we are, um, yeah. involved in, in general geeky. So goofball geekiness is um, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure and privilege to actually have people pay us money to be who we are.
0: right.
2: Yeah, we, uh, yeah neither of us ever had any a super formal music or performance training, like uh, as Storm said, we both did, you know, choirs and musicals and I was in band and such. Uh, but ne- neither of us ever majored in music or theater or anything like that. We just always enjoyed participating in it. And it was, it was sort of, it was certainly a, a very important foundation in each of our lives as was watching hundreds and thousands of hours of television, Yes, uh, such that we, we both had a sort of similar pop culture immersion background in addition to enjoying the in- the attention of performing and mm-hmm. being part of uh, music groups. And so that uh, that helped us, I think, mesh pretty tightly when we first met. We hadn't met each other before Da Vinci's Notebook.
0: Yeah. How did you two guys, you know, meet up and connect?
2: Who wants to tell the story this time? Uh, turn, well, take, turn
0: turns.
1: take turns with it. You start.
2: Okay. We had both sung in a cappella groups in our separate colleges, me at Penn State and Storm at the University of Maryland. And then for grad school, I moved down to the Maryland, D.C. area. Take over, Storm.
1: And uh, Paul had actually auditioned for my college group. He rejected us at the time, but then we met again after we had both graduated when we answered an ad independently from a guy putting together a doo-wop group. And um, we both ended in that Ended up in that group with the two other guys who would also be in Da Vinci's notebook later. So really, it was thanks to a guy that we, we no longer have any contact with mm. that we ended up being uh, meeting each other and eventually um, leading us here.
2: Yeah, that group uh, that group broke up after just a couple of months, but the four of us sort of stuck together and felt like we had something. We started out just as this sort of hobby, part time group that sang doo op covers and, you know, popular song covers and things like that. And uh, among the stuff we covered was songs by groups like The Bobs and Moxie Fruvis, whose stock and trade at the time were, you know, funny songs. And we got the best reaction to those types of songs, so that was what we started leaning towards, and, and over the... Go ahead, Storm, I hear you breathing in to, to make a comment. Uh, wow, this is a good microphone. It
1: um, is.
3: <laughs>
1: and and even the stuff that was standard, you know, who wrote the book of love, all your your classics like that, we would still mess with them. You know, I, we enjoyed doing the music part, but it was more about just entertaining and goofing off. But yeah, definitely the Bobs and Moxie Fruvis, anything that had a more humorous bent to it, and then uh, Paul actually brought in fully formed the first original song that Da Vinci's notebook did liposuction and i kind of feel like that that changed the whole trajectory of Da Vinci's notebook hmm. and that's Paul's cue to pick it up
2: that's right so basically i'm i'm super important to like everything <laughs>
1: <laughs> that that's why you had uh, important tattooed right on your forehead that, that's right the day after that song came out which that's i thought crazy. was cool
2: yeah, and concurrent with that, and again, neither Sperm and I had done a whole lot of songwriting as individuals, you know, much less together before then. But we were similar enough that we got along really well, but just different enough uh, that I feel like our, our skills and interests complemented each other, right. and we sort of fell fell into this sort of songwriting team thing that worked pretty well for us and and generated a lot of stuff for the group and so davinci's notebook was together about 12 years the last roughly four to between four and five years were full-time as the group evolved from this hobby group into this other part-time job into this other full-time job into eventually uh it was near the end of 1999 so in 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 anticipation of the y2k bug that was going to (laughs) destroy everything anyway we all left our full-time jobs in those last four years. Da Vinci's notebook was our job, which was like the weirdest thing to me. I mean, you know, none of it. No, you weren't married at that time. I was going to say, like, my wife had no idea. As as with uh, you know, the other two guys who were married at the time had not expected to be married to full-time musicians. That was not part of the uh, oh, uh, right. the, the the mathematics or, or or the the prenuptial package, right. shall we say?
1: I wasn't married, but my my wife to be. We were we were dating before. We actually went full time. Right, it was actually a, a, uh, a feature that the Today Show, NBC's Today Show, did uh, about us that sort of launched us onto this trajectory to being able to go full time. And then after that, like we were able to tour a lot more. We were getting great gigs, getting some exposure. And this is all pre-internet. It's kind of right. funny to think about how a band would become known wow, before yeah, that. That's good
0: point and an acapella group, no less.
2: Yeah, a lot of it. Certainly, what really changed the game for us also was we started getting airplay on a syndicated morning radio show called the Bob and Tom Show, uh, which is out of Indianapolis, but is syndicated uh, in you know a hundred some markets across the country. And they they started playing our stuff in pretty heavy rotation, and we would go appear on the show, and that was an amazing way to suddenly get a whole new fan base introduced to your music mm-hmm. and suddenly have the all these way stations across the country. You know, We could show up in Madison, Wisconsin, and 200 or 300 people would show up to a show, as right. opposed to the normal way you'd do it, where you'd go to Madison, Wisconsin, and six people would show up, and you'd go back three months later, and maybe 12 would show up, and you'd try just sort of building word of mouth. But we couldn't do that. We were not road-hardened musicians. Several of us had families, and we didn't want to do the go-out for three or six or 14 weeks right. at a time.
0: That's couldn't. that's I don't know how people do that. I mean, I have enough friends who've been in touring bands and even done national tours. I don't know how people do that. That's just insane to me.
1: We're pussies. We're we're not afraid
0: yeah. to say it. You no, know, I say you're actually sane.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We we resolved early on we were just gonna mostly keep it to long weekends or at worst maybe a week out at a time. And luckily we had enough of a fan base in enough cities that uh, we were able to do that and remain economically viable.
1: I actually remember the first time we started getting email feedback from people, and that, yeah. that was a big, a big thrill. It's like, wow, people are, are emailing us, you know, yep. which is amazing that uh, we take it for granted that we get instant feedback to every little thing we say on Twitter or Facebook or any other place like that. Right. But that it probably took a lot longer for us than. It would have been, you know, over a matter of months or, or a half a year or so, what really took us three years, three or four years to go full time. So there, there's, your, there's a little moment of geek for you. Mm-hmm.
0: So you mentioned it at the top of the interview, but how was that transition from Da Vinci's Notebook, which was a cappella, to doing Paul and Storm, where you don't just have to sing, you do have to play these instruments?
1: For me, Storm, personally... Me storm personally think it very difficult. <laughs> Bizarro storm thing. He used to bang on drum, but he plays play string box very hard. Actually, it was very hard. Not only learning more than the three or four chords that I knew, but being able to sing and play at the same time. Early on, it sort of um, it changed my performance style a lot. Um, in the a cappella group, we have wireless microphones, we run all over the yeah. place, yeah. and suddenly you're rooted in one place with this guitar that you are scared to death about playing, like even in between songs, this sense of, oh my God, you know, do I know the chords for the next song? So that was sort of, the for me, the first big hurdle. And Paul mentioned earlier also going from a four-person group where you basically had four front men four people that in their own right could be the front person of a band and be an air traffic controller. So there wasn't as much pressure for you to personally be on your best game Mm. every night Right. and going from four to two and also just being used to that dynamic that, you know, when you say something that one of three people is probably going to bounce off of it and it creates this energy. And we had to learn, relearn how to do that with the two of us. So that was another big challenge.
2: Yeah, and just sort of starting over. And it was a conscious decision we made. Like we didn't want to come across like we were we were stealing the Da Vinci's notebook brand or that we'd broken up the band so that we could just do our own thing or anything like that. So we made a conscious decision early on to not cover the old songs, which we we always knew it was going to be a, a pretty hefty starting over process, but we were surprised, even among that, how how little carryover there was in fan base. Like there was, you know, there was a sm- certain very small percentage of people that would show up to our, our sets in the beginning, but it was a lot smaller than we might've hoped. But that was, you know, also just partly out of our own, you know, a, a result of our own decision.
1: I'm glad we did it that way. But in yeah. hindsight, it was probably from a business standpoint, kind of stupid.
2: <laughs> yeah. It was <laughs> like, it was, it was, had had, yeah,
1: we'd had 10 years to build up this incredible, Uh, material that people loved and were familiar with and all of a sudden it's like okay you know now we're going to just be doing completely new stuff and we're gonna write it all right now and I think for the first year it took us a long time to have even a half an hour's worth of music that we felt was A-grade material Um, Mm -hmm. and really in the past couple of years that we feel like okay we can do you know two hours three hours and uh, and be proud of everything that we're doing
0: Right.
2: Well, proud is a, a broad
1: term. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that like for entertaining people, uh, I guess might be the word <laughs> <Yeah>. for that. <laughs> for one reason or another.
0: Well, yeah. what, what is what is that creative process like for you guys? Because for me, even as a creative person, writing music and lyrics just seems like m- magic to me.
2: <laughs> it's
1: yeah, funny you is
0: should add, magic.
2: It, it, it is magic. I have a wand. <laughs> that I purchased it in Diagon Alley. I have a familiar. <laughs> you, got, you got a little imp that sits on your shoulder and whispers lyrics in yeah, your ear. Yeah,
1: he's whispering right now. It's uh, <laughs> kind of cool. It actually does sort of seem like that, because at least the best ideas are the ones that come the most easily and seem to get the best reaction. It comes from some gut sense of something that's funny, that has a, a musical Bent to it. And that's really hard. I mean, writing comedy itself is hard enough
3: because
1: right. it has its own rhythms. But then to find something that is funny, but also works in a musical context and has enough juice to it that it can sustain for a whole song, it's pretty rare. And I find that uh, for, for me, it happens the best when I'm, when I'm just feeling really happy or I'm drunk, one, one or the other.
0: And in tribute to the classic video game, this is Frogger the Musical.
3: Now why the chicken might have done it, I just couldn't say. But if I'm gonna make it home, this is the only way. Five lanes of traffic, an embankment, then a stream. It's like it's some kind of amphibianic fever dream. The total lack of law enforcement on this road's a crime. I'd write a letter, but I simply haven't got the time. Give me a call tomorrow if I haven't died. And I can tell you how I made it to the other side. Left, up, right. If I make it to the other right, 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 down, left, side Up, left, up, right, right, down, the up, 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 left, upright I hope I make it to right, the down, other up, side Up, up, right, 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 down, the up up, 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 left, up, up, right, I gotta make it to right, the, down, left, up, up. the other side Excuse me, miss I couldn't help But you seem to be out here all alone And it seems to me In a world so cold and lonely No one should have to do this on their own We're already past the highway So if you are going my way there's room inside if you want to ride I'll take you to the place we're heading toward Hop on board, let's share this road together Hop on board, we'll bear this load forever If you're with me, they'll never be stop us baby
0: So, when was it that you and guys really actively embraced your, your geek audience? I guess uh, we always
1: did, but geek and nerd wasn't really defined as a thing mm-hmm. for a long time. Right. I think because our lyrics were always very kind of clever and witty and funny stuff, it drew that kind of crowd, mm-hmm. and we were who we were. So I don't feel like we're doing anything very differently. Certainly Um, from a a
2: content perspective, uh, after we started working with Jonathan Colton and saw, oh, you know what? You know, these things that we enjoy, we can actually sing songs about them. And more than six people will get the jokes. Right. Uh, so to that extent, you know it was it was probably you know our starting up our relationship with Jonathan uh, that had us more actively embrace it from a content standpoint. But as Storm was saying, you know our our fans have always basically looked like the same people. Yeah, I think we've uh-huh. always appealed we've always appealed to that you know geek nerd demographic, whatever that might be. you know it's so it's not just a matter of the fact that we're singing about you know, Dungeons and Dragons or the video game Frogger or something like that that's bringing these people to, to come see us. It's, you know, it's a function of a lot of different things. Uh, so we, that's that's at least what we tell ourselves so that we, we convince ourselves that we're not just shamelessly pandering <laughs> Yes, in order to get people to our shows. We are
1: shamelessly pandering, but we're we're shamelessly pandering to ourselves.
2: <laughs> oh, that's it. That's <laughs> beautiful.
0: So speaking of, of Jonathan Colton, how did you guys uh, get hooked up with him? Ah, uh, we stalked him pretty much. <laughs>
2: we kind of did. Uh, it was we saw John Hodgman's original appearance on The Daily Show, which led us to Hodgman's website, which led us to a link to Hodgman reading his list of seven hundred hobo names
3: from his ah. first book.
2: And Jonathan Colton, who was a college friend of Hodgman's, played guitar on that. You know, on that recording, which I remember. is. 50 some minutes long of him just playing Big Rock Candy Mountain on guitar underneath the entire time in one take without stopping which you know impressed the heck out of me and that in turn led us to his website where he had just recently I think he was made you know 8 or 10 weeks into doing his thing a week project which was yeah. you know Jonathan's whole voyage of self discovery as well so the timing was great because we were busy still reinventing ourselves and looking for other people to perform with because we couldn't draw a whole lot of people to our own shows. And he was just starting to get this exposure on his project and had very little experience performing live and touring and things like that. And we just we just emailed him, after, you know, hey, we saw your website. This is great stuff. This is us. Uh, we'd love to, you know, we see you're in New York and we're nearby in D.C. and we'd love to... Um, maybe do a show together or something and he had heard of da vinci's notebook i think he'd heard some of our songs and mm. you know said you know sure what the heck and it, it started up from there and then he ended up very rapidly started this is just before things like code monkey had come out
1: he had had uh, baby got back had gone viral at that yep. point but it was before any of his geek anthems had really caught on
2: yeah, so we we grabbed onto that tiger's tail right when it started to take off. So he started getting this incredible exposure and all these people coming out to his shows, and we had all the experience of, you know, what it actually takes to be a touring live musician.
3: Right, right.
2: And he had, you know, and and he would in turn have company on those trips because there is nothing that sucks more than touring the country alone with a guitar doing these shows. And we kind of, you know, learned off of, of each other and supported each other. Not, you know, that's in no way to say that we feel like we're responsible for his success per se, but it was, you know, it no. not like he couldn't figure it out anyway, but we happened to be there and were that type of resource. Uh, we were
1: Jonathan's path of least resistance.
2: That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, that's one way to put it, I suppose.
2: Yeah. Oh, and of course we're like totally all best friends and stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it just seems it's so fortuitous for all of you.
2: Yeah, it was just, you know, three very sort of like minded individuals doing this this similar sort of thing. And it it worked and, you know, and ended up being this, at this point, over five year relationship. I I almost, uh, six years, I guess, almost
0: in a couple of months
2: of working and and touring together. and, And it was just, it worked out great for us.
0: And you guys have really kind of blurred the line towards it's almost more of a collaboration where, uh, you know, there is no true opening act necessarily for you guys because you're you're backing up each other's performances.
1: It has been uh, on the time that we toured with them that it's been a, a weird hybrid um, as things went along. Uh, It became where he wouldn't come out during our set. And he he never really did a lot. Like It became pretty clear early on that we would be the opening band and that he was the headliner. And just from a showmanship standpoint, you never want to have the the headliner appear too early. It sort of dissipates that excitement. But definitely, like we would come out for a a block of songs when we perform with him. And um, definitely a sort of a carnival sense to the show on the whole. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's been a fun experience.
0: And that kind of naturally brings me to uh, Woodstock. So tell me about how that all got started.
2: Uh, Storm, it's your turn to tell a tale, I think. Oh,
1: sure, sure. So we were uh, busy lining up some dates just for ourselves, and um, some things had fallen through, and once again we were looking at doing a show with another act and we had recently met will Wheaton at PAX Penny Arcade Expo and knew that he did readings now and then and thought hey you know why not see if he wants to do a show and then thought you know we, we also recently met Adam Savage of Mythbusters and knew that he did some very interesting and funny talks And thought that would be a really neat mix. And then it sort of snowballed where we thought, wow, if we have the three of us as this core, how about we even have other special guests and make it almost like this geek vaudeville, this this nerd variety show. And um, everyone said, sure, it sounds like fun. What the heck? Pulled it together and the first shows um, sold out. And they had this incredible energy that surprised us all. the sense of celebration to it. And I guess we've done over, over a dozen of them at this point. Yeah, I think
2: we're, we're closing in on 20, I think.
1: Oh my gosh. Point. And we're trying to find a way to do like a, a full day or a weekend festival yeah, version that, that of That just
0: it. seems like the natural next step for this.
1: Yeah, it's, it's finding exactly where to do it, you know, and, and being confident that we can draw enough people for it to really have a, you know, a Woodstock kind of feel, not that we, you know, want to have a hundred thousand people, but to give it that sense of celebration would right. be uh, really epic.
0: Yeah. Okay. So rapid fire time, star Wars or star Trek, star Trek.
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, it's a qualified star Wars, assuming, uh, as I'm sure that you are, the prequel trilogy does not. Factor. Of
0: course. What prequel trilogy?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Huh. Kirk or Picard? Picard. Picard. Mac or PC? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get, any, get into any religious debates, but it's the reactions well, not, that are I, always I, interesting.
1: I, I have I have extraordinarily mixed feelings on the subject.
2: <laughs> I am not mixed. I'm I'm all in the Mac camp.
1: Just so. to provide some some interest, then I will say PC.
2: There you go. Let me go back to it. Unless we were talking characters in the commercial.
1: <laughs> in, which, in, which in which case, case we I am are... absolutely in the PC. Camp. <laughs> PC can't promote the bus on that one.
0: Robots, pirates, or zombies? Robots.
2: Now, I, I have to ask are, are we talking, these are beings attacking us, or just in general, the concept of robots?
0: However, however you want to interpret it.
2: Uh, if attacking us, then zombies. If just the general concept, robots.
0: Okay, because, yeah, the, the, the robots can be a bit more intimidating, I suppose.
1: Well, and if you're talking attacking, it also depends on if you mean who would you rather be attacking you or which would be cooler. Yeah. So,
0: you know, among cases, the three, zombies.
1: I would say zombies would probably be the easiest to yeah. defeat.
0: Skynet versus zombies. I'll, I'll, I'll go with the zombies if I have to fight off the apocalypse.
1: Oh, hell yeah.
0: <laughs> so if you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Hmm...
1: Yes, I'm going with yes.
3: Power, yes. Power of getting the
1: yes. Any situation, positive. That's that's <laughs> me. I'll have a big exclamation point on my chest.
2: Or just a plus sign. <laughs> you missed your positive.
1: I'm gonna go with time travel. I'm gonna go with time travel. Positive time travel.
0: Wait, wait so does that mean you can only go into the future?
1: Yeah, which you're kind of already doing. I can only appear at optimistic times, so...
2: I go into the future in real time.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's
1: my power, uh, that no one else has. No one else has ever been able to move forward in time.
2: Uh, It is a boring, cliche answer, but I will say flight. I almost went with imperviousness, a la Mr. Incredible. Right. But I think flight's just better. Flight's pretty cool. Flight's pretty Come on, if you could fly, come on. That'd
0: I be know, awesome. yeah. That, that's hard to argue with.
2: Well, with time travel, it's
1: sort of a
0: two-for-one.
1: Because when I travel in time, it's like you're flying through time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 to positive places. <laughs> <laughs> Would you fight for good or evil? Good. Mr. Positive. I, I should have figured <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was, that was kind yeah, of a was, dumb question in this case. Yeah. Okay. But for Paul,
2: I, I would fight selfishly on the side of good.
0: Okay. Okay. What is your favorite science fiction curse word?
2: Shazbot. <laughs> Eldercarb.
0: <laughs> no, no hesitation from either of not, you.
2: Not at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so is this something you think about a lot?
1: No, that was honestly <laughs> a knee-jerk reflex. It's like he took the hammer right to my brain and my, my brain foot kicked that one out.
0: <laughs> so what does the term geek really mean to you guys?
1: Enthusiasm
0: is the core of it,
1: yeah, as I think of it. Certainly, people who are into sports or politics have their enthusiasm, so I think it's tempered with enthusiasm for things that are more cerebral, a little odd, or silly, something that might not be accepted as mainstream. Right. I know there's a lot of art that could fall into that category as well. So it's a wiggly definition, but um, at the heart of it, it's enthusiasm.
0: Though I guess in some ways, I mean, do you really even make make the distinction between geek and, and nerd anymore? I mean, I, I guess geek is the more socially acceptable label, but
1: I think of nerd as more of a hard science kind of thing. Okay. Like, nerdiness is that, you know, behind uh, a lab table with beakers and things or surrounded by circuit boards, uh, more, more connected directly to science. Like, if you think about the science fiction fantasy spectrum, like, nerd is Asimov, you know, right. where Asimov, he okay. wrote about. Yeah you know, these scenarios with robots, but he also wrote a lot of nonfiction about science that was coming out at the time, you know, it it informed his ideas. That's, that's nerd. Whereas geek, okay, Tolkien, that's not, there's not really any science in there, but it's this fantastic realm that has neat rules to it. And it's very deep. Um, That to me is more, more on the geek spectrum. So Mm -hmm. using, using literature, that's how I would define geek and nerd
2: yeah, I'm in a similar place. It's a shifty definition for me, too, as far as which I prefer at any time. But uh, in general, I also see nerd as they're they're both enthusiasts, but I see nerd as more sort of, quantifying their enthusiasm and again to use a sports metaphor like uh, a a sports geek might be somebody who decorates his whole room with with posters of philadelphia eagles and their players or whatever team whereas the sports nerd will be the guy that has known every starting lineup for the new york yankees going back to 1894 yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. it's more it's it's more a quantified enthusiasm as opposed to just an emotional enthusiasm
0: yeah more Uh, scientific
1: more scientific
0: Interesting. I, I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. So what might be the geekiest thing you've ever done?
1: Um, hmm. That's a good question. The geekiest thing ever
2: Uh I, I told Will Wheaton to shut up, Wesley, on stage. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, it, it's not an obvious geeky thing, but I thought it was pretty, uh, <laughs> I thought it was a pretty badass nerd joke.
1: <laughs> As this is something that we, we both did. Singing on stage with Weird Al Yankovic really hit my, my happy geek bone
2: pretty, pretty yeah. hard. Yeah, that was pretty great.
0: I was thinking about that, about Weird Al earlier, and he's, I mean, just you just look at some of his songs and he's obviously a geek himself. Oh yeah, yeah, in the best way. So what do you guys have coming up?
1: Uh, well, we have some, some touring we're doing, some shows of our own, some that are out. Uh, Woodstock presents Will Wheaton versus Paul and Storm. Uh, we have some very secret awesome projects um, that are going to change the way you live uh, that we can't discuss. So we just want you to be aware Jeez. that that's, uh, that's going to happen. Oh, we have a, a cruise. We have a cruise that we're doing with Jonathan ah, Yes. Polk. Joko Cruise Crazy, that's going to be uh, February 19th, 2012. Nothing like 500 nerds uh, encamping on a very nice cruise ship to get the blood going.
0: Right, you know, that's something I forgot to mention, because this isn't the first time you've done this. Just that whole idea of doing a, essentially like a floating geek festival just seems so incredible.
1: Yeah, that's exactly how it feels. It's sort of like a cross between a rootstock... And summer camp, you know, <laughs> where you have these performances that are a lot of fun, but then it's as much about the people who are going on the cruise sort of meeting each other in real life. Maybe these are people that have known each other on chat boards or share an enthusiasm for, uh, for Jonathan or for us or any of the other acts. And, um, and fruity drinks, which are hard to argue with. You can't <laughs> argue with them because they don't speak. They're not sentient. No, <laughs> no. Next year we may have sentient fruit drinks, but not this
0: year. Uh, at least they, they don't speak until you've had too many. Right.
2: Right. <laughs> right. That's they speak, when we cut you they, off. Then they talk back with it. Why are
3: you are drinking to me, here? Huh? <laughs> That's exactly how they sound.
0: You know, I can't believe we've done almost this whole interview without any cover band jokes.
1: Well, we're off the the show. Yeah.
0: Well, with that said, thank you guys so much for talking with me. You've definitely got some Geek Cred. And guys, be sure to go check out Paul and Storm and all of their great music. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Well, that's just about going to do it for this episode of Geek Cred. If you've got any questions, comments, or suggestions, get in touch with me. Email geekcred at geekcred.net or call 818-925-4335, or visit the website and leave a comment at geekcred.net. Over there, you'll also find links to subscribe, download all past episodes, the chat room, how to donate, Facebook, Twitter, and more. Well, that's it for me. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, geek on. So, So backing up though, tell me, sorry. Oh, Shut see, up, I'm Stephen not Phone. the only
2: one with technology in the background <laughs> making noise. Storm, now you have to have like a toaster go off.
1: <laughs> oh, it's, it's, my toaster is going off in a, in a big way. And that's, if you know, if you know, if, if, I mean. if you know what I mean, it's, it's a, a euphemism. Did your, did your imp leave the room? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so does something like that.
0: <laughs> Damn you, get back here. You he stole my notes. <laughs> bastard yeah, I, I didn't have a chance to quite do as complete notes as I normally like to and one of my documents has mysteriously gone missing I think the imp stole it don't. damn it
2: uh-huh. Damn it. that's the problem with imps yeah
0: imps can be uh. dicks
2: they work good on inspiration but they're mischievous little bastards oh uh,
1: we sell Amway I don't know if it's appropriate for us to talk about that on your show <laughs> Uh, it's very nerdy. Um, getting stuff clean um, is nerdy.
2: Getting you know bulk toilet paper is pretty nerdy.
1: <laughs> yep, and getting your friends involved with selling for you—it's not a pyramid kind of, scheme. It, no, <laughs> um, not pyramid. at all. It's a
0: square it's in, scheme. It's, it it's is a, square. It's, it's a cube scheme. Yeah,
3: that's right. <laughs> um, it's it's, it's a four
2: dimensions. It's a hypercube game. theme. It's in four dimensions. <laughs>